This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Three days in a row. Did it work? So if you're a Jewish man, being fruitful and multiplying is the best thing that can ever happen to you. Why? Because suddenly you got this massively expensive responsibility. Like now you have all these people to pay for. Why is that good news? Who can tell me why that's good news? That now you got all these dependents that cost a fortune. I mean, think how much it costs to raise a child. Well, think how much it costs to raise five kids or six or seven or eight in my case. Why is that amazing for a man? It means because now he has to go and take his bag of bones and produce something as best as he can. And he goes to sleep every night knowing that he made a difference. That he got to take that bag of bones, which for men feels quite meaningless. Women don't appreciate meaninglessness like men do. Women have other issues why they jump off bridges. But men jump off bridges because of meaninglessness. Okay? And, they, and it's very painful for men. men. Women have a built-in task. They have a built-in meaning inside their very system. Men don't have that. But when the woman's built-in task, which is to ultimately to cradle the civilization, to cradle the entire society, when they're doing that built-in task, well, the man who's kind of got a little you know, deposit in that whole process, he's, those are his kids, ultimately. They look like him, hopefully. And someone's got to feed the chicks. And that'll be him, which means he gets to take that meaningless bag of bones because every man feels complete meaninglessness if he's not busy making a difference. He gets to take that bag of bones of his and go produce something out of his best skills, abilities, traits. He can go study. If he doesn't have any natural ones, he can go learn some. And which means he's going to live a very meaningful life. So what you start to realize is God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply is, is a tremendous gift to us as well-being people, people who are well. Because if, if you take the whole modern millennial uh, you know, conventions, you will possibly deal with depression that comes from meaninglessness whereas if you skip all the millennial stuff being nice also begins with an S if you skip all the millennial stuff and you and you actually just get married and start having children you're, you're going to have a deeply meaningful life a tremendously meaningful life it's really powerful is it scary to feed everybody? Is it scary to earn a living? Is it scary to have that level of responsibility? Yeah, it's super scary. But, you know, that's, it, life is scary. Life is frightening. And you should be scared. But I can't tell what's scarier. Yeah, I can. But what's scarier? Avoiding all of that? Avoiding it all? And looking back 30 years later and saying to yourself... I, I built nothing. Or is that scarier? Or is it scarier to face that dragon and go slay it and make a difference and be married and feed a bunch of kids and 
raise a whole new generation of people who make a difference. Like, which one's scarier? I mean, in the end, all of you young men have to make that choice. Of, you know, you got to choose the the less scary. And I personally believe just from being a rabbi, when you're a rabbi, you get to counsel a lot of people. I can tell you that, that just from meeting so many people for almost three decades now as a rabbi, I can tell you that the people who've dealt with the scariest stuff are the ones who ran away. The ones who ran away from the, the dragon. The dragons are interesting in that, uh, I heard Jordan Peterson say this lately, that dra- dragons are interesting in that you, um, when you, when you slay them, one by one, they're not that big. You guys ever, like, finally done a task and you realize it wasn't that big a deal? Like, you got it done. You know, you did it. And you might have had to go back a few times because you forgot the right documents. And so, in Israel, you got to go back. Like, you always know when you're going to an office, you always know you're going to be going there, like, three, four times. Because <laughs> you never have the right documents, you know. you got to just keep coming back and waiting in the long line till you get in there again and only to find out you have the wrong documents again. But the... Anyway, when you slay the dragon, you, you notice what I mean? That you, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, it's often not that big a dragon. But dragons have a way of getting bigger and bigger when you avoid them. The, what causes dragons to get really big and scary is the more you avoid it, the bigger it gets. And that's the way life is. The challenge is get... The, when, we, when we try to run from a challenge, it gets scarier and bigger. Whereas when we just go out there and, and slay the dragon, get it, you know, they, it's not that big a deal. And our success of our lives will just be how many dragons we slayed. You know, how many dragons we went out to, and they're not that big. They're really not that big or scary. Now, regarding women, regarding women and being fruitful and multiplying, you know, and um, that is like really flies in the face of not just the millennials, it flies in the face of 70 years of feminism. Because you, you could be the biggest feminist in the world. In the end, you're going to be on full lockdown with all these children. You know, you're going to be fully locked down and, and, and diapering and nursing and, and, and next thing, and you don't forget we're not using birth control so the second you thought you were done nursing a child, guess what? You know, you're pregnant again. And so, so which means you could be pregnant for, I don't know, let's see, my, my, my oldest one, my oldest child is 23. Three. My youngest is eight. So, how long was my wife pregnant? Fifteen, 15 years. <laughs> she was either pregnant or nursing for fifteen years straight. You know, which, yeah, that's a large chunk of life. And I know women who have more kids than we do. I mean, they they did twenty years of pregnant and nursing. So, you know, that's a pretty big deal. But it's not just that because it's not just fifteen years. Fifteen years, you now have an infant. And now you've got to take that infant all the way till, uh, you know, they start coming home at three, I think, when they're, they start coming home around three when they're maybe uh, 10 or 11. They start coming home at three. So now you, st- you know, you got, you got most of the day off. So it's about 25 years. Not very millennial. Not very millennial, 25 years of your life dedicated just to creating another generation of people. And so it's, uh, it's a major, you know, that's, that's a major deal. 
and and you know it's and we live in a society that you're supposed to like avoid being called a breeder you know but ultimately you're like a breeder in having so many children uh, I want to mention that t- not everyone's cut out for having a ton of kids though I'm not saying that everyone meaning birth control is allowed for a family that can't handle kid after kid after kid and I have noticed that millennials can't handle kid after kid after kid for the most part unless they were raised in such a home anyone here raised in such a home anyone raised in a kid after kid after kid after kid so you probably could handle it more than anyone else in this room because you at least that was the dynamic in the house you know it was going on like that so you you could probably handle it but the uh, but for the rest of us we have to be very careful because you can't have more in you can't have more in succession or in quantity than you can handle because this is a heavy responsibility it's a generation and so if your kids don't come out amazing you only have yourself to blame and if you can't handle having tons of kids all one after the other so then you you have no business doing so because it's just irresponsible and you're going to dump those kids on society and sorry ladies I spoke so much about these subjects I don't know if that's what freaked you no we have to be sorry <laughs> anyway the there's a rule, you, all, you always comment on the first people who leave your class, so it scares everyone else. Oh, does that mean if I get up, he's going to comment? Just I'm just kidding. Anyone who has somewhere to go can go. The, anyway, but the, just as far as child um, rear, child bearing, you, you can only, you're only allowed to have what you can handle. And so these days, people are starting to space them out more. Um, more space between kids and less kids. That's what's generally going on now. And I've even heard something really shocking. I had no idea this was going on, but there are Hasidic communities. I've heard of one in America, at least, that has the kids not, because they get married so young, not to have kids for the first year or two. Which is like, I just was shocked to hear that. I was not expecting that at all. I don't know how any rabbi has brought enough shoulders to say such a thing. Any rabbi can say, take a break. If you can't hack it, you must take a break because the society can't handle your kids that aren't raised well. And the only way they're going to be real as well is if you know what you're doing and you got it covered. Um, Everyone knows, I mean, definitely uh, you ladies who are raised amongst lots of kids, you, you know what it looks like in your society for the families that couldn't handle it. You know, it was pretty irresponsible, and it drops on everybody, lands on the whole community. Um, uh, by the way, I'm, I've killed this subject completely. Uh, we've beaten this dead horse. Does anyone else have a question on the subject? Yeah. It's specific. You have to have at least one boy and one girl outlive you. You didn't fulfill... It's a weird commandment. You didn't fulfill it till you die. <laughs> I mean, if someone, has a, if someone had a boy and a girl, so you, they think they fulfilled the commandment, but then the boy and the girl die before the parents die, they didn't fulfill the commandment. They have to outlive you. What's that? The extra ones? Yeah, it's insurance. <laughs> and you'll even meet people who want, like, a couple boys, 
I mean, they don't mind girls too, but they want a couple boys for Kaddish. <laughs> that they'll say Kaddish for them. You know, and so one boy's enough. Well, just in case. Just in case. Uh, a couple boys to say Kaddish. But it is a really awesome commandment because it opens up the entire Talmud, for example, almost all of Jewish law. Why? Because, first of all, you have six tractates alone just on marriage, just on the fact that you got married. First of all, you have Gitin, which is divorce. You, you can't get yourself into a contract if there's no way out. So the first whole piece of Talmud is on divorce. Then there's one on Kedushin, on getting married. And there's another one on Ketubot, is protection of women. We have, the, we have the most ancient document that protects women on, in the history of the world. What about the get? I mean, can you go into that a little bit? That was the first one, the first tractate. Did I miss that? That's okay. No, I said Gittin, but the get is, the, a get is how you release a, the bond between husband and wife. By the way, the bond between husband and wife is eternal. And it can only be broken up via this very specific scribed with a quill on parchment document with a very specific language that that holy document releases the bond. Otherwise, the bond's forever. Can you explain why the man has to give it? And uh, why does the man Because the man was the one who, who, who locked it in. The man has to unlock it. Man locks it in. There's only one ring given. It's the husband's ring. Meaning today we get these egalitarian chuppas. I've had to run chuppas where, where she wanted to give him a ring too. So, so I distracted the crowd and, and they did this little exchange where she, she put him. Doesn't do anything. No. no, they do it. Just They're not really doing anything. It's symbolic. She's not giving it back, the ring back. They're not doing it at the same time. It's not, it's not like an exchange of rings going on here. We finish that part where he gives ring. He has to give something to get something. What is, the, what is he getting? <laughs> he's not getting her. She still has her. She's not losing her. She's got her. What he's getting is her rights to be with anyone else. That's all he's getting. She now has the whole world available to her of single men, and now he's taking that away from her. For rabbinic decree, men aren't allowed more than one wife, but when a woman is allowed as many men as she, you know, she can marry anyone until the chuppah. Under the chuppah, she's now sworn off all men, except for this one. Now, that's a major thing he's taking from her. He's taking away her options for anyone else in the world, and he, you got to pay for that. And you pay for it with a ring. Pay for it with a ring. Now, the, the okay, so then... So we got the gets how to get out of the bond, how to get the bond released. And it's really scary, too, because there are women who have discovered how evil their man is. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they just want out. And they get a civil divorce. And they move on. She marries somebody else and has kids or whatever. And it turns out <laughs> that she's still bound to the original guy because she never got a get. You understand? Like people, A woman who gets a civil divorce is meaningless spiritually. It doesn't mean anything spiritually. It is a purely legalistic, secular court thing. It has nothing to do with their original bond, her original bond with the original man. And not only that, but it produce, the children she would produce if she remarries are, are children born out of 
not out of wedlock. They're born out of, how do you say, gilui arayas, illicit relations. Children born out of illicit relations are called mumsers, and mumsers can't even marry Jews. They can marry other mumsers, but they can't marry a regular Jew. And so their name gets put in a file. If they find out that she had other kids, those names get put in a, rabbin, a global rabbinic file to not let them marry other Jews. And they can be raised so Jewish, too. And they are raised so Jewish. Because I've known very few, but I've known some mumsers in my life. And they, uh, and it's like, oh my gosh, Like, what are we going to do with this guy? Because he can't marry anyone else. Meanwhile, she thought she was divorced. She's really married to her original husband. And the kids now are not even... Part of the part of Israel, they're they're called mumsers. Now that's that's it's a pretty harsh situation and a very difficult situation to get out of because what what do two mumsers create? And if they, if she marries another mumser, now it's more mumsers. So so it's like it's not their fault. Yeah, they're it's not their fault. It's the mummies. They're not being punished. It's just these are soul realities. It's also no one's fault for being born a gentile, being born a man, being born a woman, being born Down syndrome. That's no one's getting punished here. This is just what they have to go through. Fix it. There's some weird way, halachic ways to get through it. Um, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's some strange thing. Like you have to marry. You have to like marry a slave. You have to like get a slave. How do you do it? The guy marries a female slave. Yeah. And then he marries a female slave, then she converts to Judaism, and then those kids are Jewish. <laughs> so that he can't fix it for himself, but he can at least have a new generation. So if any of your mumsers just marry a slave. Where are you going to find a slave? I don't know where you find a slave these days, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's some country doing slave trade. Can you marry a convert? Can a I feel like they can. I feel like they can, but I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, about soulmates, is there only one soulmate or seven Yeah, there's a lot of soulmates, but the soulmates aren't options. They are soulmates based on your own evolution as a human being. Meaning, like, a girl marrying her high school, high school sweetheart, is a, that if they get married, that was the soulmate. But if, let's say, she's a year older than him, and then she goes off to college, and, like, her mind opens, and she comes back for Thanksgiving, and he's, like, seems like a kid compared to her, and she, they break, she breaks it off. And then winds up marrying this, like, much more open-minded guy who, like, you know, like, the, and then they get married, that's the soulmate. But let's say she's dating that guy, and they think they're getting married, except she goes off to Israel and discovers Judaism. And now she's, like, gone turbo Jew. She comes back from her summer in Israel for the fall semester. There's her boyfriend, who they thought were getting engaged. And he's like, she's so excited to tell him all about Judaism. And he's just like, uh, you know, this is just not that exciting to me. I mean, you were in Israel. I wasn't, you know. And I just do not want to go to Shabbat dinner, you know. And she's just like, you don't? I was sure you were going to be so excited. And he's like, 
not really into Manischewitz and Kefilte fish, you know, and and she's just like, I'm out of here. So she goes to like the local Chabad and there's this guy pouring beer to everybody and single. And they just hit it off. And they just love singing Shabbat Shalom together and stuff. Shabbat Shalom. You know. And if she marries that guy, that's her soulmate. And then, of course, this guy moves off to Israel for a year to study. But as he's studying, he's studying, he's starting to realize how much depth there is in Torah that when instead of coming back to marry her, he says, I want to study another couple years. And she's like, well, who's going to support me? He's like, well, I'll study in Kola and you'll work. And she's like, to hell with that. And <laughs> he just keeps going. And so she, she finds somebody, you know, another guy. You know, and anyway, but it, whoever you marry along the evolution of your life is the soulmate. So you shouldn't get married young because it would be so much better. <laughs> That's not the lesson. The lesson is to de- the lesson is develop yourself now. Develop yourself now and then start dating. That's the one of those all those options. Yeah, so I know it sounds like a stira, like a contradiction, but it's not. It's the name of those options is called out. But this is going into a whole free will thing. You understand where it's going? Wait, I got the free will thing, but I don't. Well, that's pretty complicated. It's pretty complex. I'm glad you got it. I don't got it. Meaning, meaning, we all have free will, but God's determined it. Because God's outside of time, he knows what's going to happen. So what is going to happen in the end was the name of the person called out. It's in the envelope from 40 days before or after conception. I you just feel this kind of magic. <laughs> if you're a female, if you're a male, you feel this kind of fear. Women look for the magic, men look for the fear. Fear. If the man's feeling a tremendous fear, that means this is the one he's going to be taking care of the rest of his life. So the fear is a good sign for the man. If the man's feeling the magic, that just means he needs a cold shower. (laughs) The woman's the one who feels the magic, and the man's the one who feels the fear. If you got a nice fear, like a lump in your throat... You probably got the right girl. If you if the girl's feeling the magic, you're feeling the fear, good good news. And what happens is that fear that the man has is two double fold. One is this is the woman you'll be taking care of the rest of your life. And the other issue is that you're afraid to let go of all the other options, which is pretty scary too. And what happens is just to warn you guys for when you get engaged so you know about this in advance. And also the women is that when you go to sleep the night of your engagement party, you're going to look up at the ceiling like this, maybe a little tipsy from the alcohol. And you, anyway, you look at the ceiling, and there's going to be a voice in your head that's going to say, that was the biggest mistake you ever made in your entire <laughs> life. And that voice, that was the biggest mistake you ever made in your entire life, is going to get louder and louder <laughs> And louder and louder until the chuppah, until your wedding day. After your wedding day, it gets quieter and quieter and quieter for the next 50 years. 
but it never goes away. Now, for the women, here's your advice. When you get engaged, you're going to want to see your husband's, your fiancé so badly. You're going to want to be at Shabbos tables. You're going to want to take walks. You're going to want to have him show up at your family's events and stuff. And you're just going to want to see him all the time. Bad idea. You see, when you're dating a man who's thinking, well, maybe she's the one, maybe she's the one, maybe she's the one. Well, every little thing you do is magic. Everything you do just turns him on. But when he's got a voice in his head that's not saying maybe she's the one, but he's saying you just made the biggest mistake of your life, every single thing you do irritates him. Everything you do is proof he made the biggest mistake in the world. And everything, even how you look. Like, nothing you can do will be right once you get engaged. In other words, don't even see the guy till the wedding. Just avoid him. Avoid that guy. You just want to stay as far away as possible. When I say as far away as possible, meaning like phone calls on Fridays saying good Shabbos. That's about it. You know, like if you really, really, really are going to like die if you don't see him. So like once a... I don't want to say a time because whatever time I say is more than you should want because it's working against you. Okay? If a man is saying you just made the biggest mistake of your life to himself, you don't want to be in his presence right then. You want to be with him when he's already like convincing himself he did something good, which is after the wedding because now he's all obligated. The ring, the ketubah, like now he's in. You know, human psyche works like this in marketing. Like if you make a bad purchase, you will convince yourself that it was good. And so even if you make a good purchase, you're going to convince yourself. Like imagine driving home from your good purchase and you're deciding between a Dodge and a Chevy. And when you get to your, when you're driving home, there's a brand new billboard with the Dodge. You went for the Chevy. It's got the Dodge and they just lowered it $2,000 less. They were basically equal, but the Dodge just lowered two grand less and added like a better stereo. And there's a giant billboard on your way home. You'll never take that street again. You're just going to avoid that street. And that's the same thing with men after marriage. Is, is they, they want to feel like this was the best idea they ever had. And anyway, but for women, is when you're engaged, stay away from the guy. Once you're married, I mean, I'd also say stay away. But, but, but now that you're married, you're together. And so now your job is to, um, is just to tread lightly, tread lightly until there's got to be a lot of, lot of love developed. You got to develop a lot of love and a lot of connection. You can't just like dump the whole load on the guy. You know, men are scared to death of responsibility and, and they're also, they're not great with emotion and I mean, some men are okay with emotion, but usually their own, <laughs> not yours. So, so it's like you're married to a, a guy who's like, you can't just let it all hang out, you know. You, it's got to be just right. And it's okay. Once it's just right, let it all out, you know. But, but you got to go easy on the guy. And, uh, and whatever, I mean, I'm, I think for the first 20 years of my marriage, my wife put on a special outfit just because I was coming home every day. Every day. I mean, she wore whatever she wore that day. And then she knows I'm coming home in a half hour. She'd go in the room. She would change. And then I'd come home. I never knew this was going on. I thought that was what she was wearing all day. Found out later. 
Now we're married. We just had our 24th anniversary. And uh, I'm not sure she does that anymore. You know, but uh, I don't think she's doing that anymore. But I don't really care anymore. I mean, we're like, we know each other like our own smell. You know, like we're, we're complete, like two peas in a pod. And so I don't really care at all about such a thing. And I didn't care then either. But she made sure to be in an outfit for when I arrived home. And it's just like, you, you, this is the kind of way you want to live, you know, like with, in your married life. Yeah? When a man gets married, should he be looking for a woman who's like a higher level or equal or what? Talking about in Judaism? Like, yeah, like, uh, where she, where she's she sets the tone for the home, so, so if she sets the tone so that, so he's, better to marry a woman who sets the tone that you strive for because you're going to what's that to strive that far there's plenty <laughs> there's most women when it comes to Judaism are on a higher level than the men so so they 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 um, generally men strive for uh, generally men marry, I, they say they say in Asia Torah to Marry a woman who's more observant than you. <coughs> they say. The rabbis at age said, marry a woman who's more observant than you are. But it says, it says for God to find a soulmate is more difficult than splitting off the Red Sea. So yeah. does he want us to do it? <laughs> so the truth is that um, when you look at the Talmud that discusses it being more difficult to put two soulmates together than splitting the sea? Guess what? It's talking about this. Oh, you know, you know, yeah, you always know your stuff. This guy. Yeah, it's talking about this. That's talking about a second one, meaning for widowers or divorcees. It's called Zivuk Shani, someone who, who lost their soulmate through death or divorce, and then they remarry what's called Zivuk Shani, a second soulmate. So it's harder for God to like reestablish the magic of a first soulmate for a second soulmate than splitting the sea. Because the Talmud asked if the name was called out at conception. So then, how difficult could it be for God to put them together? Their names were called out already. So the answer is, is that it's talking about a second soulmate for divorcees or widows that when they remarry, for God to recreate the magic is like splitting the sea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Zivukshini is not. Zivukshini is like splitting the sea for God. Because it's not called out at the beginning. But no one should feel bad if they've already been married and had to, you know, it didn't work out. You're, you're, you're in a, everything going on in your life is exactly. You could also be single and 40. And that's like, also like, okay. That's we're all we're all right now inside this tube, like like uh, that doesn't even as we spoke about the last few days, time doesn't really exist. So we're in this like where all those pens go. Can you throw me that just a couple pens? Throw me a blue pen. So this is called the world of souls. Okay, the world of souls. And then, and then there's the, um, and then you're born into this world, which is uh, 
you know, a pretty big world here. I don't know how to make it, but like, it's a pretty big world. And your soul comes out of this round, throw me a red, uh, yeah, that one. And your, your soul comes out into the world and you spend your life here and then uh, and then it comes back through a red comes back through you know the portal and and each one of us while we're inside this um, this by the way this is the world of souls again world of souls so so the world of souls is outside space and time that's where you're from and right now you're inside the space-time continuum, or at least it looks like you're inside the space-time. Oh my gosh! Four oh my feet. gosh! Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you tomorrow. This is Rabbi Neckemeyer with the Seven Questions, one of our most popular classes. Listen to it once, and you'll never stop coming. Here comes his groupies now. So if you need a bathroom break, take it. Otherwise, yes, uh, we are going to take a break. Get started. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.